a series on the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. And today we're talking about the spiritual discipline of serving. Now, to start with though, we um, need to make a little clarification, and I've made this before, and that is the spiritual disciplines, they, they are not what puts you in a right relationship with God, but they help you to grow in the relationship that you already have through faith in Jesus Christ. Or as Charles Spurgeon uh, once said, he said, the Christian does not work for life, but from life. He doesn't work to be saved, but he works because he is saved. And it's because we've been saved by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, that we offer our lives in service to Him, to do what He would have us to do. And so this morning we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of serving. What does that look like? Why is that a discipline? And we're going to look at 1 Peter 4. Verses 7 through 11, that's going to be our text this morning. And we see that Peter shares three truths with us about the spiritual discipline, discipline of serving. First, he tells us that we've been gifted by grace. Second, he tells us that we have been gifted to serve. And third, he tells us that there is a purpose in our service. So we've been gifted by grace, we've been gifted to serve, and there's a purpose in our service. So first, let's look at the fact that we've been gifted by grace. Look with me at 1 Peter 4.10. And in verse 10, this is what he says. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And he's talking about this each one. Each one has received a gift. And this, you know, each one is referring to the one who is in Christ. And earlier in the letter of 1 Peter, Peter explains what this means to be in Christ. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so this each one he's referring to is the one who has received the gift of eternal life, the gift of a right relationship with God through Christ by the mercy of God. And it says that God has caused this to happen. In other words, He's the giver. He's the one who gives the gift, right? And we are the receiver. And the way we receive the gift of eternal life is through faith. Faith in Christ, God's Son. Okay? So God is the one who makes it available. And then He also says in in 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11, He says, if you've received this gift of salvation through Christ, you've also received... A gift, an ability to serve. And you've been gifted by grace. You've been gifted for a specific purpose. And what we're going to see is that God gifts people differently. That He you know, distributes His gifting differently. But all these gifts flow in the same direction. Even though we may have different gifts, they're all for the same purpose. And they're all flowing in the same direction. And He tells us, Peter says it this way. He says, we've been gifted 
by the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God. And we know grace, or perhaps we know this, grace means it's something you did not earn, right? I mean, you've been given a gift. It's grace. It's a gift. And so God gives us gifts, abilities to serve Him uh, simply because He wanted to. He loves us. He gives us a gift, okay? That's grace. And then Peter says, though, it's manifold grace. Now, when I read that verse, and I read that word manifold, it triggered a memory in my mind that took me back to high school and when I received my first car. And you can all remember when you received your first car. Some of you are hoping to receive your first car. But when, if you can remember, your first car was pretty special. And my first car was a white 1988 Chevrolet Camaro V8. For those who know your engines, it had a 305 in it. But as a young man, I wanted a bigger engine. So I wanted a 350. And the issue was, uh, and this is just part of my uh, naivete then, uh, I did not want this electronic fuel injection that I had in my car. So I wanted the kind of a, the carburetor, the air cleaner, you know, kind of throwback, hot rod type engine. And so I traded my motor for a 350, which is bigger than a 305, okay? And, you know, got rid of the electronic fuel injection, and I, you know, got the carburetor, the air cleaner, the holy nine yards. Now, I know for some of you, I'm talking, and you're just, your eyes are rolling back in your head, and you're thinking, I don't know what he's talking about. Stick with me, okay? I'm just sharing my memory. So I got this new engine in my car, and one of the first things I did is I put in a high-performance intake manifold. This is where the whole memory kicks in from the Scripture. Intake manifold. Now, stay with me here. The manifold is, is crucial, and I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But the manifold sits on top of the engine, okay? At least it did on my engine. And then on top of the manifold, you have the carburetor. And the carburetor is even more important than the manifold because the carburetor takes the gas, you know, that you pump at the gas station and put it in your gas tank. It takes that and it takes the air from the air cleaner. It sucks in the air. It takes the gas. It puts it together in this fuel mi- air, air and fuel mixture and it pushes it down into the engine. Now, that carburetor takes that fuel mixture and it pushes it down into the manifold. So the manifold has this big opening and it shoves it down into this manifold. And this is what the manifold does, the intake manifold. It basically takes the fuel mixture and it channels it to the cylinders. Okay? I had a 350 V8, meaning it had eight cylinders. And so it took this fuel mixture coming in from the carburetor and it channeled it down to the eight cylinders. And so when I read that verse, the manifold grace of God, it made me think of that engine and how that fuel comes in and then it's channeled down into the cylinder to get things rolling and you're flying down the road, right? Well, that's what God has done to the church, to the people of God. We are all cylinders. His grace comes down and it shoots through very diversely and He gives gifts to everybody that is in Christ. And so, just like that engine, all the fuel mixture doesn't just go into one cylinder. 
it's spread out among the eight. And it's the same way in the church. God doesn't just gift you with everything. He gifts you with something. And then He gives, gifts you with something else. Because He wants us to be interdependent on one another. And He wants us to work together for a common purpose. Okay? But that's how God's grace works. It, it, it is diverse. It shoots it to people in different ways. To gift people in different ways. And um, thank you for entertaining my high school flashback. But that's what it made me think of. The manifold grace of God. The grace of God is diverse in how it equips the body of Christ, the Christian, to accomplish uh, what God wants them to accomplish. So, what we see here, first of all, is we've been gifted by grace. And that's something God does. He's the fuel. He's the one who does that and gives us our gifting, which could be several different things. Okay, We're not going to get in necessarily today into the specific gifts, but we're going to talk about how we use what God has given us. And that's, uh, that leads us to our second truth, and that is we've been gifted for service or ministry. In verse 10 and verse 11, the word minister or serve is used. And this word is the same word that we get the, the, our term for deacon. And we know deacon is an office of the church, but a deacon, his role is to serve. That's his role, to serve. And in a broader way, what Peter's saying is, well, that's not just um, reserved just for the position of deacon, even though that's true, but it's also for the broader body of Christ. All Christians have been gifted to serve, to minister, to serve. And then Peter tells us in verse 11 that when we serve, we can basically do it in two ways. The first way is through our speaking. Look with me at verse 11. Peter says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. In other words, when we use our words as God would have us to use them, that's a way of serving one another. That's the way of serving someone. When we use our words as if God were speaking himself. Okay, mindful of how God would have us to use our words, that's a way we can serve one another. And we all know that words are powerful, right? Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We've all experienced that. We've all experienced uh, words that have built us up and helped us. And we've all experienced words that have tried to tear us down and discourage us. And so when we speak and use our words as if God were speaking, then we can speak life into someone. We can speak life. And that may come in uh, encouragement, words of encouragement, but it also could come through words of correction. But both are, are coming from this idea, this motivation that I want to speak in a way that builds you up, that helps you to become who God wants you to be. You know, I want to use my words in service to God. And so our words can be powerful as we, as we speak them. So the question is, how are you using your words? Are you using your words to you know, build up others and help them to become who God wants them to be? Whether they're your family or your friends or maybe someone you just met for the first time. Are you seeking to point them to Christ, to help them to move along in their spiritual journey 
and to become who God wants them to be. I mean, I know if you're like me, you know, I don't always use my words that way. You know, even with my, my children, I remember my youngest daughter, even this past week, I had to ask for forgiveness because I was just real snappy with my words. And I just told her, I said, you know, Lily, I, will you forgive me for doing that because I, I, was, that was, I should not have responded that way with my words. In other words, my words were not being used as if they were the words of God. They were not being used in alignment with the purposes of God. And so, how are you using your words? Are you seeking to build others up or are you seeking to tear others down? Uh, let's, try to, let's try to use our words and speak the way God would have us to use them and speak them. Second, Peter says that we can use the gift that God has given us through serving others by what we do, not just by what we say, but what we do. Look with me at verse 11. Peter says, if anyone ministers or serves, that's that word there that we we get the term deacon from. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. And here he's talking about all the different ways you can serve apart from speaking, because he's already talked about speaking. Now he's talking about doing when you, when you seek to serve, he says, and I find this interesting, he says, when you seek to serve one another, do it with the ability which God supplies you. And God has, he's, he's supplying you with the ability to serve. Okay. And implied in this statement is that you cannot serve the way God wants you to serve disconnected from Him. You just can't do it. You have to be connected to Him for Him to enable you to serve the way He wants you to serve. Now many of you have probably, you've either attended a Broadway play, or you, at least you've heard of these plays, uh, and they do exist in New York City. And if you, have you ever wondered, you know, how, how do these plays, how do they receive the, their funding to get off the ground? Like who pays for these things? Well, we know the actors and actresses, they don't pay for them. And, you know, the musicians, they don't pay for them. The producer, he's not bankrolling the whole thing. So how do, they, how do they raise the hundreds of thousands of dollars, even millions of dollars to get this play off the ground? Well, the answer is they, they uh, try to get investors to invest thousands of dollars uh, to get the play on Broadway and to produce it. In other words, they try to get other people to resource this uh, activity, this play, so that the actors and actresses and the musicians and the producer, everyone and the choreographer, everybody can work together to put together this play. So the main idea here is that the, the performers aren't the ones who have provided the resources to, to start this play. Rather, it's someone else. And the word here that... Peter uses when he says, if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. This word supplies here was a word that they used in the first century to talk about people that would resource or fund the theater. So if you think of a Broadway play, it would be like those investors who put forth the resources and that, were, that were required for the play to actually happen. And so the idea here is that God has resourced us 
The resources have come from Him, and we are to use these resources to put on the play that He has uh, called us to put on for the world. And we all have a part to play. And we are the actresses and actresses that are enabled to carry out the roles because of the resources of God. He's the one who supplies the energy and the ability to carry out what He wants us to do. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, 28-29. Colossians 1, 28-29. Paul says, Him we proclaim. Christ we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So that's, that's the role Paul is playing. He's saying the role I'm playing, what God is calling me to, is I want to present every person I meet mature in Christ. I want to share Christ with them. I want to point them to Christ. I want to see them matured in Christ. That's what I want to see happen. That's what I want to give my life to. And this is what he says as far as how he does it. Verse 29. He says, for this I toil. Now listen to this. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So Paul is recognizing that all His abilities, all He's given me, my, even the energy He's given me, is all, it's all coming from God. And I want to channel that towards the purposes of God. And so he says, I labor, I strive, I toil, but I'm using what God has given me, my, my, the energy He's given me, this energy I possess, this, this ability I have to pursue God's purposes. So God gives us the ability to use our gifts to serve others. And so ask yourself this question, how are you serving? You know, are you, like Paul, are you saying, I want to I use all that I have to serve the Lord wherever He has me. I want to use my gifts to serve Him, to serve His purposes, to represent Him. So, are, you know, are you serving on, for example, that church committee? We have several committees in our church, and these are groups of people that are seeking to carry out specific tasks within the body. Are you serving, you know, that committee with gladness or with gloom? You know, are you serving your neighbor willingly or reluctantly? You know, when your children observe you, you know, serving the Lord, what do they see? I mean, do they see you serving the Lord with gladness? Or do they see you serving the Lord as something you just endure? See, Peter tells us we've been gifted by grace and we've been gifted, we've been given this privilege to serve the Lord by serving others. And the third truth Peter tells us is that there is a purpose in our service. And this kind of brings it all together. Because this tells us, okay, we've been gifted in certain ways to serve, and this is the motivation. This is kind of the overall arching focus of, of where I should channel my energies. He says in verse 11, Again, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
He says the purpose of our service is that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And this is the distinguishing mark of Christian service. This is it. This is what separates Christian service from the service of every other person in the world. Christian service is marked out for the glory of God. In other words, we want to serve in a way that points people to God. That it, it doesn't point people to us, it points people to God. It helps people recognize God. It helps carry out God's agenda and not our own. And so when we serve in this way, we serve from a position of humility. Right? We serve in a position of humility, wanting to lift up another. Primarily, lift up God, recognizing God for who He is, pointing people to God, and also even lifting up those around us so that we may build them up and help them as well recognize who God is and grow in their relationship with Him. And this requires discipline. This is where the discipline comes in. Now you may say, well, Ron, why does this require discipline? Well, see, God has given us the ability to choose how we use our gifts. He's gifted us, but now we get to choose what we do with it. And this requires discipline because sometimes, well, maybe not sometimes, but we have this tendency, this is probably a better way to say it, we have this natural, innate tendency to use our gifts to promote ourselves rather than to promote God. Okay? We, we have a tendency to use our gifts to benefit ourselves rather than to benefit other people. Right? I mean, you see that in your own heart, don't you? I mean, that's our natural tendency towards what Richard Foster, the Puritan, he said it this way. He said this, he calls it self-righteous service. And I want to read you uh, a description of this by Richard Foster. And I want you to see, does this characterize your service? Okay? Listen to what he says. He says, self-righteous service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate the effort. This is self-righteous service. In other words, you serve, you only serve if you get recognized or rewarded for it. If you don't get recognized or rewarded for it, then you don't do it. He said, that's self-righteous service. It says, this self-righteous service, it seeks human applause. Now listen to what he says here. It seeks human applause now with proper religious modesty, of course. <laughs> I mean, we, don't, we don't want you to know. I don't want you to know I'm serving to get the applause. I'm going to try to do it in a way that, you know, is honoring to the Lord. But I still would like a little kickback of the glory, if you know what I mean. So I will dress it up. I'll try to dress it up in church clothes. But I still wouldn't mind, you know, reaping some of the benefit. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. It eagerly wants to see if the person served will reciprocate in kind. Now I'm doing for you, I'm doing for you, I'm doing for you. When are you going to do for me? That's... That's rolling around in your mind when we are focused on self-righteous serving. It's, I'm doing, I'm doing for you, I'm doing, when am I going to get mine? Foster says, that's, that's self-righteous service. Now listen to this. He says, the flesh, 
It means that part of us, that, that ability we have to serve, that, that we seek to, to serve apart from God, the flesh, you know, apart from God. He says the flesh whines against service. The flesh whines against service and screams against hidden service. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. In other words, this idea of behind the scenes, the flesh hates the whole behind the scenes thing. That part of us, that tendency that wants the glory, hates that idea behind the scenes. Doing something behind the scenes. Because you know what behind the scenes means? No one knows about it. (laughs) And the flesh says, I want you to know about it. You know. So it screams against that hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. It will devise devise subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. That's our tendency. That's That's what we strive towards apart from the enablement of God. When we disconnect ourselves from God and what He's done for us, that's the kind of service we're rendering. But when we're connected to the Lord, seeking to to serve as He would have us to serve, we're more concerned with uh, God getting the glory and the other person being built up than we are about our own recognition. And knowing this, knowing this is true of you and knowing this is true of me, this requires discipline, intentionality, that we're using the abilities God has given us for His purposes. You know, in the uh, 6th century, there was a man named Benedict of Nursia. And Benedict wrote a book of rules uh, seeking to kind of give structure to monastic life. And that book has been used and practiced for 1,500 years. Still in practice today. It's known as the the Rule of St. Benedict. And what this book does is, like I said, it gives structure to monastic living. How people can live together under an abbot or a father or someone, the head of the monastery. How you can live communally together as Christians. uh, Keeping one thing in mind. And you know what the motto of the Benedictine order is? The four letters. The letters are I-O-G-D. I-O-G-D. That's the motto of the Benedictine order. And it stands for this Latin phrase. In omnibus glorificitur Deus. Which means that in all things God may be glorified. And the rule of St. Benedict, all, the, the whole motivating factor of this rule that he's writing for the monastic life is to structure your days in a way that the focus is to give glory to God. That's the motto. Now, I love that intentionality, don't you? I mean, I love the intentionality, but I'm not necessarily lining up to become a monk. Right? I don't know if they'll let monks with a wife and three kids into the monastery. Um, But I doubt it. But my point is, you don't have to be a Benedictine monk to share that same intentionality. Right? I mean, just think about it. How can you use your words, your speech? How can you use your actions, your abilities today even? 
to glorify God in all things that God may be glorified. I mean, that's the intentionality of St. Benedict, but that can be our intentionality as well. And there's a number of ways you can serve and be involved in the service, even of our church here in our community. And I want to just share a few of them with you, just practical ways you can kind of join in in service. Uh, we are in the process of uh, filling certain crucial committees in our church. Committee, I know it's a, a word that some of you cringe even hearing it. But it's actually just a way to serve. It's a team. It's a group of people seeking to carry out a specific task, specific ministry of our church. And some may be calling you even this week and asking you, will you consider, prayerfully consider serving on this committee? Now, some of you may know your gifting, may know your abilities and say, you know what? That committee and my gifting, it just doesn't really add up, doesn't really mesh. But I'd love to serve in another way. But some of you may say, well, I'm not sure what my gifts are yet. I don't know how God has gifted me. Well, if that's you, I want to encourage you to consider joining that committee. Or maybe your gifts do align with that committee. I consider, I mean, I encourage you to join it. Because one of the ways we discern and figure out our gifts is by serving. All right? I'm coaching my daughter's soccer team, fourth through sixth grade co-ed soccer team. Well, how do I figure out what position works best for which player? I just put them in all types of different positions until I figure out, you know what, this player is really good at goalie. This player is really good at striking, at offense. This player is good at defense. But I don't know that until we put them in the mix. It's the same way with your gifting. It's, hard, it's going to be hard to know what you're gifted at if you don't serve. And so just get plugged in. Serve somewhere and, and let people give you feedback. And I think that's one way you'll discern your gift. Another way you can serve is by joining one of those ministry teams. There are several of them. Surely there's at least one that says, you know, I, I could get behind this ministry team, whether it's planning an international mission trip or doing outreach in our community or serving a meal to someone who's lost a loved one or visiting someone in the hospital or being a part of a prayer team or the children's ministry team or the youth ministry team. There's got to be something out there that aligns with your gifting, surely. And so I want to encourage you Prayerfully consider joining one of those teams and, and think about how you can serve this body of Christ as well as our community. And lastly, you know, there are going to be ways just every day, opportunities every day, that you can speak words of life to people, that you can do things for them to, to help them become who God wants them to be. But it will require us to discipline ourselves to speak and act in a way that points people to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And I hope that your motto and my motto will be that in all things, God may be glorified. Let us pray. God, that, that, we want that motto to be a stamp on our lives. God, we want our lives uh, to be used for things that will last. We want our lives to be spent on a great investment. And that is, uh, we know from your word, investing in uh, people, in your, your mission to make disciples of all nations, telling people about Christ, showing them your love, speaking your truth to them. Lord, help us to do that through our speech, through our actions. Help us to be disciplined in our service. Help us to consider how you may have us to serve and put, put uh, these gifts that you've uh, granted us through your manifold grace 
uh, put them to work in this church body as well as in our community that you may be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.